0: Welcome back to the Back Pain Podcast. Today, guys, we're talking about back pain and strength, what it means for you, how you can get it, and how you can stop yourself from getting into those difficult spots. So today, we're talking to Dominic May. Dominic is a strength and conditioning coach. He's worked with loads of sports people around the world, top-level athletes, and high performers. At the moment, though, he's most recognized for being the Arsenal Academy's strength and conditioning coach. We're talking 2020 uh, FA Cup winners here. We're talking top-level athletes. Fantastic. Dominic's got a wealth of knowledge on how to maintain and prevent their athletes from getting into uh, a position of pain and how we can transfer that to you guys at home listening who want to feel better and stop themselves from getting into that pain do you need to be a high level athlete to listen to this podcast absolutely not do you need to be an fa cup winning footballer to get knowledge from this no you can listen at home and you're going to get some great stuff from this too so one of our favorite ones so far enjoy Okay and welcome back to the Back Pain Podcast. Today I'm joined by Dominic May. Uh, Dominic is a strength and conditioning coach for the Arsenal Academy so this is the guy who's getting the folks in the Arsenal Academy, football players at very very high standards, fit, healthy and doing their absolute best. I'm of course joined by my co-host Rob Bevan as well. Hi Rob and Dominic. Good evening sir. Good evening. So, uh, Dominic, you are a strength and conditioning coach for the Arsenal Academy currently, but look, you've got a big old rap sheet, mate. You've, uh, you've worked in some really interesting places in sport over the years. Um,
1: talk us through it. Where have you been? Yeah, so I kind of didn't know really what I wanted to do back when I was a teenager and kind of fell into sports science because very keen sportsman, very interested in science, mathematics at school and kind of fell into that degree at Swansea University and then luckily I got involved with one of the lecturers who was working with Welsh Rugby Union various Olympic sports and he wanted to do a pilot study on relationships between strength and power parameters and sports performance so got heavily involved in that for my final year of my degree and then that led to an internship at London Irish Rugby Club where I was had a very good first year working under some excellent practitioners kind of worked lead of the elite professional development group. So you're kind of 16 to 18 year olds that progress into the professional side and then assisted the professional side. And I was there for three, three and a bit years. Um, wow. And then during that time, I was heavily passionate about working in football and trying to break into the Premier League, but went to numerous interviews, got to final stages, but I always got turned away for being a rugby strength coach or not football specific enough. So I made it my aim to go and branch out and work in as wide array of sports as I could. So didn't fall down that trap in the future. And that kind of led me to Los Angeles to work with a company called Athletes Performance at the time. And they have since changed their name to Exos. And then in Los Angeles, I worked with LA Galaxy, I worked with Major League Baseball, worked with players from the NBA, the NFL, worked with Grand Tour tennis players, PGA golfers. So it's a great kind of time to work with all these athletes as they would either come in on their off seasons, they were trained sporadically throughout the year, or we actually had quite a few Premier League, La Liga, Serie A soccer players that came over for their rehab. So it was great to network and kind of get involved with all those sports and learn different tricks of the trade and network. Um, unfortunately, I did that coinciding with my master's and then when my master's degree finished, So did my visa in America. So Exos moved me to Switzerland, Ah. where I worked on the corporate side, working with like a elite IT company in Zurich. And there, I mean, I probably learned the most of my career there because we worked in an office of 5,000 people, me and one other colleague. And we had people every day coming with back pain, which will be relevant to this podcast. But you had your weekend warriors, you had your amateur athletes, your triathletes your cyclists your tennis players your football players your people that just wanted a six-pack your people that wanted to lose weight um so it gave me a big repertoire and allowed me to like delve into the general population and work across that domain and then I got a call probably three years into that move and coincidentally the the head of performance at Arsenal knew my ex-boss at London Irish and kind of that filtered that way and went through the whole interview process and then started at Arsenal back in 2016. I started with the under-9s to the 16s and then moved up to the 18s and now working in kind of the senior level of the academy at the 23 level.
0: Fantastic. Dom. So, so this is not, um, so yeah, you are not in a, a single track profession here. You've worked with all kinds of really, really high level sports stars then. Um, so it's not just a uh, football specific now, but you've got a massive background in, in all sports and in all people in that job in Zurich. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. We knew you had the right guy on the show. Okay. Um, so Dom, the reason why we we've got you on is we were talking last night to Dr. Dan Bellavi who's been working on this huge study to uh, to finally come to the uh, the end product of what is best for back pain, what type of exercise, what type of. Um, uh, what type of movement, what type of therapy and the end result of all of this was it was a Pilates combined with strength therapy approach so that is a mobilisation and stretching combined with strengthening uh, which is not surprising to those uh, in that sort of sphere and that's why we got you on today, Dominic so we're going to talk about that that strengthening side of things but before we dive just into back pain um What role does strength have in in your your high-level athlete then? Uh, I think anyone who's watched sport over the last 10, 15 years can see the change in the athleticism of those athletes coming through. Uh, How big a role is it now um, to the guys coming through the academy with you?
1: I mean, from a performance side, like there was a study back in 2015, I believe, that focused on the physical and the technical performance parameters in the English Premier League. And it was showing statistics of a 30% increase in high speed running, a 30% increase in sprint distance, 50% increase in actions, whether that's passing, crossing, tackling, shooting. Um but there wasn't really an increase in total distance. So while the volume is staying pretty stable, the actual power speed strength aspect of the sport is massively going up. And then with that there's been a slight increase in injuries over the seasons because of this physicality that is increasing so for me strength underpins all your athletic movements all your athletic skills because it allows you to hold one posture and structural integrity in the body to be able to move pivot from be able to perform these actions whether that's running jumping cutting kicking striking hitting etc so it kind of Strength will be the underpinning quality that we want to achieve in all our players before building these sport-specific skills on top of. That's
0: so interesting. Uh, so, up thirty to fifty percent increases on in all of those parameters there—that that's immense. And that that's was, incredible.
1: Yeah, and that that was back in two thousand and fifteen. That study finished. So, I can only think that it's gone even more exponential since then because of the type of players that are coming through. The system in youth football, the type of players that are making the first teams, these players are getting fitter, stronger, faster every year. And I suppose you see, you know, that that
2: plays across all sports as well. Because I mean, I know, yeah, you come from that kind of rugby football background. You know, a lot of it. The look at look at sports like golf. You know, golfers now look like rugby players. You know, they're they're they're, they're athletes. You know, golfers no longer look like men in their. You know who, who just, just play golf. They look like people, they look like rugby players who spent their life squatting and, and lunging and doing stuff in the gym to build that core strength. So that strength and power coming from that, you know, foundation has that knock on. And I guess this is, the results we're seeing now are, you know, the results of 50, the last 15 years of people like yourself who are, you know, ingraining this in kids and children in the academy who aren't just turning up to play five-a-side and then they go home. They're doing a bit of 5 aside and they're also working on their, you know, well, whether we call it prehab, rehab, strength and conditioning, you know, it's that it's everything outside of just playing football and uh, it's, it's showing now.
0: I agree. And uh, so, so an interesting, you said there, Don, it was the, 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 that 30% increase has then had a knock on effect in possible injuries in injury output because of that. Um, is that then something you work on from an, a strength and conditioning side of things to try and prevent? So you are working with uh, that academy team to try and prevent that in the future?
1: Yeah, so I mean, my job is kind of twofold. The first one is kind of reduce injury risk and increase player availability because the players aren't going to get better at the sport if they're out of the sport injured. So kind of that better health equals better performance kind of phenomenon that would be coined. Um, And then the second one is kind of build performance on top of that once that is established. So for me in a personal model, my hierarchical order would be, kind of get the health on the anatomical structure. So looking at the bones, the ligaments, the tendons, the muscles, and have structural integrity in in these kind of tissues. Then we're looking at the biomechanical function. So we're looking at the kinetics, kinematics of movement. And then we're looking at physiological function. So can we repeat these high-quality movements over time and be robust to the high stresses that come on them? Then we're looking at kind of movement sequencing, going from simplistic movements in the singular so like a single cut or a single jump to be able to perform an acceleration, a maximum speed, sprint, a deceleration, a cut, and then the football action in the football context. And then repeat that over the game demands. And then we're going to look at performance output. So can these players progress through the levels and are they able to compete and perform at that Premier League standard? Whether that's at Arsenal, great, but can they actually reach that standard? And be robust enough to ensure that they stay healthy through that period.
0: Fantastic. Um, now, now this is where we can, um, this is where we can sidestep and say that preventative measure. So, I wish this was called the Prevent Back Pain Podcast because um, that would be loads more fun. We could, we could. Uh, uh, just teach people how not to get into back pain. Um, so that, that's great that you're, uh, but yeah, no one's going to listen to that. Um, uh, but for those of us, um, for those people out there listening who have had back pain, are almost out of it, who want to prevent themselves going into it into the future, this is super important because, of course, this is important for athletes. Therefore, it's important for us as well. Um, Dominic, the million dollar question then is how do you create the structural integrity in these tissues? How
1: do you create that base? um i think for the spine and we're looking at the back in particular here but i think we have to understand that the body works as a kinetic chain system that what goes on in the back isn't isolated to the back and kind of Mm. movement as the whole if there's a weak link or a dysfunction or a compensatory pattern in the chain whether that's in the ankle the knee the hip the shoulder the body's going to try and compensate and find range elsewhere where it's maybe not mental, or maybe the structure doesn't have the capacity to perform that movement, and then that will break down. So I think, I think it's kind of Mike Boyle's joint-by-joint approach that we have kinetic linking through ankles should have mobility, knee stability, hip mobility, and then across the spine, leaving out kind of the sacrum, the, the lumbers should be stable. That's where our base of our movement and our foundation is, based, is formed. With the center of gravity being located there or near there. Then we have a thoracic spine that needs to be mobile, whether that's flexion, extension, rotation. And then the cervical spine in the neck is hypermobile. So it tends to be the thoracic spine that we lose that rotation, we lose that flexion, extension that will cause complications either above it in the neck and the cervical spine or down in the lumbar. Rarely is it the thoracic spine that we experience these issues. And I mean, When we went to looking at kind of injuries, the typical injuries we would see, although they're not very common, would be kind of herniated discs. And that's where Mm. kind of the soft tissue cushion between the tissues of the bone pushes out. Um, And then probably 95% of these typically occur L4, L5, or between L5 and S1 of those intervertebral discs. So on that kind of pivot section of the spine. So we can see these are our high-risk areas. And then we typically have stress responses that are overload type of injuries and then kind of pars fractures or injuries such as like spondoliosis or spondoliosis thesis.
2: And then that's, a, and, you know, talking about those stress injuries, you know, for those who aren't aware kind of what they are, this is effectively where, you know, bones adapt and get stronger as, as the muscle, as a tendon, as, you know, as discs have now been shown, they get stronger over time the, if a bone is having too much load put through it and you, this happens in the spine, in the shins, in the feet, in the, in the femurs, in the, yeah, all parts of the body can, can show these stress responses often called stress, you know, cortical reactions or stress fractures. Um, you know, and this is, it goes back to our previous podcast. where We were talking about Nick and looking at that basically load and the S and C coaches, your job is to manage that load really. And, you know, and make sure that these bones and tissues aren't being overloaded if they are overloaded from that, you know, as you said, that standpoint where, an area is moving too much or not moving enough or has got too much load going through it, it will buckle effectively and that can end up as a stress response, it can end up as injury, it can end up as a pass fracture or a or a herniated disc at the end of the day. So, you know, that big part of your job is that, that is that load management, I guess, isn't it? You know, to make sure that this player has done X amount over the last few weeks, they need to reduce their frequency or their intensity of what they're doing in the gym. So, how do you how do you monitor a patient's load a patient or you know a a player's load um and go actually do you you keep it all in spreadsheets do you kind of just keep track of how the player feels How, how do you how do you monitor that
1: so i mean yeah before we even get to kind of their loading on the pitch and the impact that that has we have to make sure like they're able to produce and withstand the high impact forces that are running in the sport and when I analyze my athletes, so we use a lot of like force plate performance diagnostics on the players. We look at kind of strength power and kind of reactive strength capacities on the force plates. We'll look at asymmetries left and right to see do we have balance in the body because we know asymmetries in the body can produce high torque and high compensatory movement patterns that can increase risk of uh, injury. But we, I typically use... Um, I believe it's Wayne's research from sprinting that you kind of analyze what are the typical forces when athletes are running at high speeds, when they're cutting, when they're jumping, etc. So we typically will break down an athlete's movement pattern into like eccentric qualities and concentric qualities. So what is the force they can absorb and tolerate? What is the force they can produce? So for instance, for like a power type jump, so a counter movement jump where the athlete's Standing still, he dips, he jumps as high as he can, and then he lands in a stable position on the force platforms. So like, is that like I a standing would, jump? Yeah. yeah. I would typically want them to hit kind of 2.5 Newtons per kilogram of body mass, eccentrically and concentrically, that we know they're able to tolerate and produce the forces that they would typically experience on the field of play. Um, we can then look at that and in like a rotary movement, so a lateral skater. So they would stand on, say, the left leg, They would jump off that left leg as far as they can to the right. And then we would look at those eccentric, concentric qualities in like a rotary power situation. Um, If we take that back a little bit and look at their strength, typically I would use a isometric mid-thigh pull. So they're kind of in the top of a deadlift position and they're driving up on this bar as hard as they can. And then we're looking Mm -hmm. for isometric peak forces. Typically we'd want them, Double body weight, double body weight. So two newtons per kilogram of body mass. And then for these like high impact, high speed, high velocity type movements, we would use a drop jump. So they would stand on a box, typically 30 centimeters up. They would step off, drop onto the force plates, and then they're cued to land as quickly and jump as high as they can, and then catch in a stable landing. And then for these type of jumps and movements with the effect of the gravitational forces and ground reaction forces we want them typically to start hitting three newtons per kilogram of body mass and i mean that's a big ask we've got some players jumping in excess of 50 centimeters plus on these jumps so a lot of forces going through these spines in a compressive manner but we know the musculoskeletal system can produce these eccentric concentric forces to tolerate these movements so we could start looking at more sport specific high Intensity movements and build on performance. If we're looking mm. from like a loading point of view, um, I think in one of your previous podcasts they alluded to kind of Tim Gabbett's acute-chronic ratios. So you're looking at kind of keeping your training within a sweet spot, as Gabbett would coin it. Um, but essentially, it's, it's not producing these big spikes in workload that can cause these overloading issues that can increase your stress response susceptibility or you're looking at kind of what is your periodization cycle so kind of have maintenance overloading or overreaching you typically have an upper range of performance and then you would need need a deload or like a super compensatory time to allow the body to adapt using kind of the general adaptation syndrome theory
0: Hmm. so for those of you at home uh (laughs) <laughs> that means that if you do not have a fantastic strength and conditioning coach to assess you, like Dominic, um, if you know that there is an asymmetry, so a difference left to right, if you know that you're weaker on one side than the other, if you can jump to the left one foot but to the right only half a foot, you know there's an asymmetry there. So that has a potential to create a um uh, a problem further down the line. So your structures are working in asymmetric, not not a uh, nice and even way. This could have the potential to create an issue. This is the uh, the preemptive strike on problems down the line. Um, at the same time as that, Dan touched on. Um, uh, sorry, Don, I uh, just touched on that. Not allowing 100% of effort consistently, uh, always maxing out and overreaching with that load. If you're in the gym, you shouldn't be absolutely done every time. There should be a little something in the tank because otherwise we are pushing towards an injury, pushing um, uh, towards the possibility of creating an injury. with that in mind, so we're saying if you're stronger on one side compared to the other, there's a possibility of an injury coming through. Do you take into account the fact that there are asymmetries in sports? So uh, players who are mostly right foot dominant, um, going back to your previous work, uh, golfers, um, uh, uh, players who are sort of one-sided dominant just from the natural action they have to do?
1: Yeah, so I think for the kind of the football player or the three-dimensional athlete that's got to be not ambidextrous but be able to play off both sides and have that 360 range of movement we would typically want an asymmetry to be less than 10 percent anything more, there was some good research done by paul reed and um maybe a guy called chris bishop that looked at asymmetries in the athlete population and they they looked at footballers olympic athletes etc and they found a 10 percent threshold anything more there was an increased risk of injury anything less there was a significant reduction in injury
0: that's really interesting
2: Rob. so so for i know you know you have a lot of you know all the equipment obviously being you know high level athletes you've got everything are there any tools that people can use at home to assess you know if you didn't have that equipment is there anything you can use to assess for asymmetries or general strength you know you're you know, is that should he be doing a bodyweight back squat? Should he be doing a double bodyweight deadlift? Is there anything which we can, you know, that trickle down to uh, kind of people might think that they should be doing at home or not doing at home?
1: Um, from going at home, I think the the most easiest basic level to assess a symmetry is kind of a submaximal strength test. So whether that is a single leg squat, uh, left side, right side, count the number of rep, maximum reps you can do, and then compare, and then Create the percentage between left and right. You could do that for a lunge pattern. You could do that for a a single leg hop. You could do that for kind of like a hamstring bridge. You could do that for a side plank, left side, right side. Um, That's probably the easiest way to do it. And then if you're in the gym setting, kind of going away from the bilateral lifts and going more to the unilateral lifts, such as lunges, single leg squats. Uh, single leg deadlifts etc you would look at the weight you're able to tolerate left side the weight you can lift right side and then compare those two and that will mm. give you a good sense of symmetry between left and right
2: yeah, that's, that's a really that's good awesome. point actually and because as you said it's you know the the same principles which you use and at, at, you know are universal across any level of sport um you know whether that's a uh, you're playing five-a-side or the weekend or you're playing you know in la liga you know it's the same the same principles trickle down so that's a really good takeaway that you know it's not just for professionals people should be aiming to have this basic level of strength and this basic level of symmetry mm-hmm. anyway
1: and then i mean when it comes to kind of your golfers tennis players i mean the amount of sports specialization they do on their dominance side is so much that they will have a heightened asymmetry favoring that side and i mean that has its performance benefits of course but then it also has a degenerative effect for long term health or kind of balance and homeostasis within the body. So, a lot of the training, or well, all of the training I used to do with those types of athletes, we would work left side and right side to try and counterbalance the negative effects that asymmetry is going to have on their health long term. But then we would also work on performance left side, right side, because these players, especially tennis players, the backhand is essentially rotary strength using their dominant hand but it's coming from that um contralateral side the golfers were slightly different but again you would still work that rotary pattern and that movement pattern on the contralateral side as well
2: so so if you if, you, if someone comes to you and they're a good level golfer which i'm sure a lot of people have done previously or work with s coaches and they have they might, it might be a you know a college level athlete or a very good level athlete they might not have done a lot of S and C, they've just done a lot of golf. Do you notice a, an immediate bias? Um, I'm not, so I'm sure you've noticed like an immediate bias in that kind of rotary strength left and right. Do you then try to get it equal or do you just try and you know, outweigh the asymmetry? Like, or will it ever get equal Equal in a, uh, in a high level golfer?
1: I don't, I don't think it would ever be equal, but you can kind of reduce the asymmetry. But as long as they're not experiencing pain or injury, is not too much of a concern when it relates to the sport when it relates to the health and uh, longevity of health then i think we have to be seen to look after the health of the person and not just push them in the sport because sport is not always healthy when you're performing at the absolute maximum level on the highest stage yeah makes
0: sense and if we if we revert that back to uh, again people listening at home so if you're uh, obviously this this is a job for these people this is a job for these these academy uh, players if you're a bricklayer and you're only ever using that right arm uh, to pop your hold on if you're a, a scaffolder if you're um, uh, if you're a therapist like ours you always stand on the same side of the bench if you're doing a job which is physical and you're always using one side of your body comparative to the other it's not okay to say well that's just my job we should be acting like these players we should be acting like a, a high level athlete and thinking how can I balance myself as best as possible how can i ameliorate that impact by working my other side by by trying to strengthen and even myself out to avoid those long-term health implications we should be treating ourselves like high-level athletes even if we eat a donut at lunchtime or
2: two (laughs) or or a whole box now and again you know (laughs) Uh,
0: quite yes yeah for recovery yes yeah
2: Amazing. So, Dom, I was going to ask you, in terms of how you're working at the moment, if you, you know, whatever this professional sports, you know, in, in, so whether it's the academy, whether it's a high level of the team, how closely do you work with the kind of the medical staff? So when someone has an injury and, you know, we've mentioned a few, whether that's, you know, an acute disc bulge or whether that's, you know, just, uh, you know, a, they're a bit sore. Do they then, do the physios and the medical staff kind of relay that with you? Do you then assess the athlete from your point of view? How does that work?
1: Um, yes, yeah, so we kind of work in three phases, so restoring the health, range of motion and function around the injured area, and then we'll look at strengthening it, that area in isolation. Once we have sufficient function and strength in isolation, then when we'll then look at integrating that area with either the structure above it, below it, or kind of a dynamic movement where the whole body is working in sequence. Then we'll look to address movement complexity from a fundamental movement pattern, so kind of your primal patterns of like squat, lunge, hinge, push, pull, and then your core brace and rotate. And then we'll look into more sports specific patterns from general locomotion to more sports specific of sprinting or cutting or accelerating deceleration type work, jumping, and then into kind of real positional specifics. So whether that's a center back and he's making that interception or that that jump and header or that recovery run or the, the striker that's making that overlapping run onto the through ball and finishing, and then we'll make sure that we have kind of an adaptation-led program where they're hitting benchmarks before they go through their phases. Mm.
0: So is that that granular by the time you get down to to it, it will differ position by position? That's, that's incredible.
1: Yeah. yeah, kind of, we're looking at, are looking at, me personally in four phases so we have kind of the return of tissue health where it's kind of light loading it's all controlled we have that movement re-education and then we're establish- establishing those low level sub-maximal strength markers then we have return to participation where it's a little bit more moderate in volume and intensity we're kind of going from a closed drill to an open skill kind of environment we have a lot more multi-planar movement and we're having a lot more movement complexity, and then hitting markers in that area. Then we have return to training that is high intensity and high volume as they start integrating into the squad on the pitch side. Then we have return to performance, which they have to hit maximal markers and kind of pre-injury baselines or even surpass that because we're trying to develop these players long-term. And typically, an injury is a setback, but it's not going to limit you in the future. And you can actually... We found a lot of our players return, 110, 115, 120 of their pre-injury baseline physical levels.
0: Really, that's incredible. Um, so, so that that sort of re- uh, so the return of that tissue health, return to participation, then return to training, return to performance. Again, for those at home that's exactly how you're, you're without realizing it, you'll be fitting into those four categories as you're getting back to tissue health. So that's, uh, feeling less pain, more mobilisation, able to weight bear, return to participation, going back to work. You might not be loving it, but it is possible. Return to training. You're doing ninety percent of what you should be doing, and then of course return to performance. Doesn't matter if you're a a teacher, able to stand up in front of the class, or a new dad like myself, holding baby. Um, you're able to do your. Uh, your, um, uh, your maximal effort, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. I don't throw my baby for anyone listening. Only <laughs> tiny ones. Yeah, uh, and I guess if,
2: if you think of it like for, from a, from a normal injury, like for people listening who, you know, a lot of the terms we use might be a bit complex, but, you know, if you think of something like an ankle sprain, you know, the way which most people would approach an ankle sprain is, you know you reduce the load on it initially um you might start with gentle weight bearing and gentle kind of passive movements just kind of focused around the ankle and then you build up to, as you said kind of the joints above and below it and that will kind of involve a bit more walking maybe some work on the knees some squats some lunges and then that third stage is that kind of increasing that load tolerance and more dynamic movements some jumping some hopping some landings some one-legged stuff and you know the same approaches whether it's an ankle sprain you know you would use with you know you'll use with your athletes when it comes to lower back pain when it comes to Fractures when it comes to you know all of these injuries, you know, once they've got that kind of clearance from the physio as well, I guess. Fantastic. Um, so Dominic, over
0: your time in snc now, so over your time uh, in strength and conditioning, how has this changed? Um, so all those years ago, as you exited, uh, was it Swansea University? Yeah, um, how has the role of, of strength and conditioning in sport changed? Has it become more important, less same? <laughs> what would you say?
1: Um, I think it's becoming more established. Definitely. I mean, I've come from a, a sport in rugby where it was very established and you're mm. very much embedded within the technical coaching side of equality between your roles and your ability to help performance because rugby is such a physically dominant sport. And especially in the era I came in, like strength and size mattered massively in that kind of collision and that body contact. Um, Definitely in the other sports, I think it's growing. Um, I think it's one of the most subscribed to university courses in the country. So there's a lot of supply of good quality practitioners coming through um, and a high demand for jobs. But yeah, I think, yeah, I'm not too sure how much has changed. I've, I'd probably be more inclined to ask people back from the 20, 30 years ago how it's, how it's changed.
0: I wasn't saying you were looking old tonight, Dominic. You know, uh,
1: <laughs> just a grainy
0: picture. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think. Yeah, anyone who's, uh, like we said earlier, anyone who's been uh, attuning to sport for quite a few years can see the the physicality and the, the difference in uh, players in all sports these days. Uh, Rob,
2: I, I think it's also, you know, I think in the, you know, from my view, you know, in terms of seeing it with athletes, and you know, I work with, I've worked closely with SNC people before, is it's almost become a lot more simple in a good way. Um, you know, it, it started very, very simple and then kind of they threw everything at it in terms of kitchen sink and, you know, almost overcomplicating stuff. And now it's come back to kind of, you know, the very, very good simplicity. And simplicity when it's done well is obviously, you know, fantastic. Um, so it's very, you know, I say simple, that's probably the wrong word, but, you know, less overcomplicating of uh, of, of stuff and, you know, the, the, the foundations of, of, of strength you know, kind of play out across all sports, you know, you don't see golfers doing crazy complicated stuff anymore. You see them doing the same stuff, which, you know, squats and deadlifts and lunges and and those other things as well. And that getting that really good foundation and that really good core to, you know, help adapt or help those tissues adapt and get stronger, I guess.
1: Yeah, I'd have to agree. I think it's important that human movement is human movement first and foremost, before we ever have the sport involved. And we have poor human movement. We're going to have dysfunction, injury, and suboptimal performance. You might be able to perform to a high level, but it's going to be suboptimal to where your potential is. And I think, as you said, people went straight to the fancy, the gimmicks, the pseudoscience of what is sport-specific and what looks good. I think there's still an element of a lot of coaches using that, but definitely people have understood more now that human movement needs to be established to a very good level and the underpinning principles of strength that support the movement need to be established before we hit those more sports-specific, high-complexity drills.
2: And, the, you know, the basics which go back to, um, I've forgotten what well, the strength conditioning, you know, the, the strength conditioning Bible of, you know, the things like progressive overload, you know, it's that, you know, that should fit into every single program, whoever you are, you know, just that slow. What's the analogy for progressive overload? It's that uh, the man used to carry, carried a baby bull up the hill or the child, the kid that carried the bull up the hill and every day he carried this bull up the hill to the top. And then as he got, as he got bigger and stronger, the bull got bigger and stronger and he'd never noticed it. It was, it was just as easy for him every single day because it was just that slow increase in load. And, uh, and he got and he got bigger and stronger. Right. So the the other thing I was going to kind of follow you or I was going to you know, ask you about was the day in the life um, in terms of when you come in and you know so when you go into work on kind of day one, do you do stuff differently before people play, after people play? You know, do you do weight training before football, after football? How does that kind of work?
1: Yes. I mean, every every week is kind of periodized around when the competition is. So especially at the high level performance matters and these boys have to perform on the pitch. So you want to kind of periodize the training that they recover from the previous game. You, uh, you hit some high, int- high intensity training in the week that you're developing these physical tech, technical, tactical qualities. Then you're tapering it before game day and then you're allowing them to recover and be able to perform maximal on game day. So every day is kind of different, but a typical training day would be the players come in, they perform some screening markers. Some of these are health markers to look at structural kind of quality, strength outputs, range of motions, um, neurological testing, to see how fresh or fatigued they are, hydration testing, nutritional tests, etc. The boys will then go for breakfast, and we will analyze all this data and then we will consolidate it and present it to the coaches based on what players present with X symptoms or kind of what we propose the training day to be. Um, we will then design the training program and the boys will then appear in the gym. In the gym in the morning, we call it their kind of priority. And this is where we look to establish health and kind of work on those high explosive power movements that we're not able to do after a session when the player's fatigue. So typically in my sessions, I'm a big fan of kind of soft tissue massage work to kind of relieve tension in the joints, increase blood flow, and kind of use that to aid movement and mobility. Then I'll use principles of kind of stretching, whether that's a yoga flow that I think the boys took a while to get used to, but we kind of have dynamic movement Sequences that open up everything from the ankle, knee, hip, spine, shoulder. Or we would do either a static stretching session if we want to really open up the joints and the muscular system, or we do kind of a dynamic stretching session. We then go into kind of make kind of like a Pilates session where we're looking at isolating strength in and around the trunk because this is the foundation of movement where they need to maintain posture during movement. then they need to transfer this force either from the arms to the legs or the legs to the arms and the vice versa movement pattern. Um, And this kind of is our injury prevention model. Then we'll go into kind of movement complexes where we'll go from a low intensity to a high intensity. And this could be anything from plyometrics like jump activities to increase that explosive leg power for acceleration, sprinting and jumping. It could be more ballistic stuff with medicine ball work looking at rotary power when they're doing agility or change of direction. We use a lot of Olympic lifting to generate these power qualities. And then after that, they will grab their boots and then they'll head outside. And then outside, we'll take them through a football-specific warm-up with myself. And then they'll go into the technical coaches and uh, do the technical session. They'll then come in, have lunch. And then in the afternoon, we'll typically do our main strength session. We were looking at building these strength qualities through the entire body. Um, and then typically, the, day, the days after a match, they would do an upper body lift to kind of allow the legs to recover a little bit longer. Then the day that's the furthest away from the previous game and the next game, they'll do their lower body lift to really get these strength qualities. But we know there's going to be some residual fatigue and some delayed onset muscle soreness. So then they'll then have a recovery day and then they'll have their kind of pre pre-match day. And then they'll go into the training, get uh, into the competition. So that's
2: a, that's a pretty intense day then really, isn't it? For, uh, <laughs> for, for, the, uh, for the people involved. I mean, that's just one day.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, around that we have around that, sorry to butt in, but we have nutritionists that work with them, psychologists that work with them. They have, um, they're all doing A-levels. Um, some of them do apprenticeships. Some of them are doing online degrees. They have their agents. Sometimes they have to do media days. So it's quite, it's quite an intense day most days for the players. So it's not as easy as some people think as just turn up, play football, go home.
2: <laughs> yeah, they wish. <laughs> no, that's, that's crazy. It's, uh, it, it does sound fun, actually. The idea of having that everything analysed every single day it sound, it's, must be pretty alien when you first start it, you know. Everything from you know blood, sweat, and tears, literally being you know taken out of you to be run off and assessed. You know, every morning is probably a an interesting and interesting experience when you're not used to that. So Dominic, we
0: we know then for those high-level athletes how we can see how tailored and how um, uh, specific you get with them. Um, if we were to bring this to the people at home listening, uh, yeah. let's say they either have had back pain, they're not in that acute phase, so they're, they're starting to come out of the acute phase, they are uh, dealing with some chronic leftover pain, what are your, what are your go-to exercises? What are your uh, go-to movements? And again, we don't have to go too deep into sets, reps, and all the rest, it'll be too individual, yeah. but what's your favorite go-tos uh, to give to, uh, to someone suffering or coming out of that suffering
1: stage? Um, oh. I do love the core training. I think I kind of have three methods that I approach their kind of core training to support the spine. I think the first one would be your moderate force endurance training. So this is all your stability of the spine. So these are your planks, your static holds, um, and these should be worked in all three planes of motion. So the sagittal plane, there's primarily your abdominals working on front to back. You then have your frontal plane that is your side to side movement. So your side planks, your like band holds, and then you have your transverse plane, which is rotational. And then we call these palaf holds. So you tie a band to the side of a machine. You'd come out, sink into kind of a quarter quarter squat position, putting the band from the side and then holding it through the obliques. And these are Mm. typically my go-to exercises when it comes to endurance training on the spine. And then, Typically, we hold them for 30 seconds. Once the athlete's competent at 30 seconds, we can either add load, add instability. So you could use like pillows or little uh, medicine balls or gymnasium balls, or then we can have mechanical advances. So on that side plank, can you lift the top leg up or can you lift the inside leg up? On the front plank, can you start doing shoulder taps or alternate leg lifts and challenge your instability as you take away a base of support? Um, the next one would be your kind of high force static training so most injuries occur when there's a high force and it occurs at a high velocity so these are similar to your static holds but then we add in perputation so if you have a band you could have a partner and then he would kind of spring the band and you would have these kind of permutations and these ripples and then you'd have to hold that core position or you could use kind of medicine balls throw them against the wall as you catch them can you hold that static position and absorb that force um Mm. and then again we work these in all three planes of movement and then we work the sling system so the left to right anterior oblique uh, system and then the left to right posterior oblique system so kind of looking at more sport specific movement once an athlete's competent with these two i'll then look at high force explosive dynamic training because the core is for posture, but it's also to transfer those high forces. So when you sprint, you're transferring force from your legs to your arms to have that high power output. When you jump, you're using your arms, so the force is going from all the way from the ankle all the way through the core to the arms as you jump as high as you can. When you're lifting, when you're squatting, you're having this transfer of force through the core. So we need to train that. So that could be anything from power lifting to Olympic lifting as we have our like squats, cleans snatches deadlifts that you can hold good strong trunk positions in a kind of a neutral spine then we have our ballistic movements with medicine balls so i love getting the medicine balls out giving it to the athletes we do loads of rotational throws loads of overhead throws and allow them to be creative because movement's not always predictable it's not always controlled it's usually chaotic and it's usually uncontrolled so Get them to play around with the med balls, but the principle of having that good stiffness in the trunk and having that neutral spine position that we're moving correctly from the hips and the shoulder. Then we have kind of locomotion movements. So we do a lot of speed mechanics, speed running drills, jump complexes, etc. But going back to your question on the favorite, we have a piece of equipment called a Kaiser trainer. And it works with kind of a pneumatic air system so you can accelerate the handle Mm. without the weight flinging off the end or flying out the machine. So then you would calibrate it to the kilos that you would typically lift. Then we do a lot of rotational lifts with the Kaiser trainer, a lot of rotational kind of jumps or throws with this handle. And then on the screen, it'll come up with a power output in watts and then this creates great competition between the athletes as who can create the most power in a specific movement.
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, so you can gamify that a bit. I like that, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think the, the the thing I learned, especially with the young players, is they'll buy in, but as soon as you make it a competition, everyone's in.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> All trying I to like beat that. each other the whole time. Yeah.
0: Um, so, what what really stands out from all of that is is the multi-plane um, uh, approach to all those movements. So, I'm afraid if you're listening, the gym. Won't count if you just go and do some bench press, some bicep curls, and some abs. It's all singular uh, plane. It's all front to back. There, uh, when you're looking at these high-level athletes or people in the know, a strength and conditioning coach is getting you work in the back, the front, and those rotational aspects. So essentially, front, back, and sides. This gives you that 360 degree. Um, uh, control which we're looking for to decrease your chance of your uh risk of injury in the future so no just some abs just before summer won't cut it i'm afraid guys yeah excellent and a lot of um by the sounds of it lots of anti-rotation anti-flexion as well in there dominic that's that's great to see the the days of um uh consistent repetitive flexion um uh to extremes are long behind us i think yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I think when I was coming through my university degree to understand the anatomy of the spine, someone someone mentioned like a sailing ship, and you have your your core kind of pillar in the middle that holds the mainsail, Then you have all your little sails around the edge from the left to right, the rear, My sorry, my boat knowledge is terrible, but kind of <laughs> anyone, that, anyone that types in a boat, you could see kind of the rigs and the ropes yeah. attaching from all aspects, and this is the same as your spine, so... You have your abdominals down the front. You have your obliques down the side. You have your multifidus and your rectus spinae down the back. You have your quadratus lumborum kind of to the side behind the obliques. You have your iliapsoas kind of the front side. So there's so many s- muscles that we need to train for the core, not just the mm. abdominals.
0: Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll tag the Royal Yacht Association in that, Dominic, to, uh, uh, yeah, to, to get the official terminology. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, Love it. Excellent. Um, Well, look, guys, I I think that brings us about to uh, about to the end of our our chat today. So we've got some fantastic take homes for anyone listening at home who has back pain, who has had back pain or doesn't want to have back pain. Imagine that if we could stop people from getting into that place where you have to listen to us. All you need to go is is find someone like Dominic to help prevent, to secure the structures and create a proper um, uh, structure to work from amazing stuff uh rob anything to uh to add
2: no i think that's been a really a really clear podcast and you can see that how the the principles which are used in elite sport you know trickle down and you know anybody can can use the basics of these principles when they're looking at training to whether that's for rehab whether that's for sport whether it's for sports performance the same principles apply you don't need you know you can use you know very fancy equipment you know but you don't have to you know The same principles can be done at home in your living room with a medicine ball and a kettlebell, you know, so you you don't need lots of lots of stuff. And this is only going to help you make stronger, improve your resilience, your adaptability. You know, you can't go wrong with getting strong.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Anything to add, Dominic? No, I don't think so. Happy. Fantastic. Uh, amazing. Well, look, guys, um, uh, what a podcast. I love that. Strength is the way. You can't go wrong with getting strong. Did you just coin that, Rob, or is that an actual thing that I should have known?
2: Uh, no, that's uh, that's Adam Meekins. Uh
0: We'll uh, delete that Adam and we'll Meekins. pretend we made uh, it. Uh, <laughs> uh, Dominic, fantastic. Look, thank you so much for joining us today, mate. Where can we find you, Dominic?
1: Um, I'm not really big on the social media, so professionally, I just use LinkedIn. So, just Dominic May, and I think it would come under performance coach would be the profile to add.
0: Fantastic. Excellent. So, uh, those out there wanting a high level performance coach, that's where you find them. Marvelous. Uh, Dominic, thank you so much for joining us this evening. We'll see if we can grab you back on for more specifics in the future because this has been loads of fun. Uh, uh, marvelous. So, for all of you listening, thank you so much. We'll see you next session. Right then. Over and out. Thank you very much, guys.
2: Thank you, guys. Good night. Thank you.